When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Off the Hook Sports for Thursday, October the 5th. No sound effects today because there's no Dave Hooker. He is in Massachusetts visiting his son on a college trip, I guess you could call that. As I mentioned yesterday, UMass was the game. Caleb, I'm, I'm here with Caleb Jaru, by the way, so it's the Caleb show. As I mentioned yesterday, Caleb, I don't know if you watched the show, but uh, UMass was the game that Tennessee won in 2017 right before Butch Jones lashed out at the media saying Shy Tuttle fell on a helmet and that's how he had to get stitches and then he said what do we want out of our media so it's going to be Caleb Jaru and Caleb Calhoun doing the show for you today we got a lot to get to Josh Heibel spoke with the media yesterday talked about some injury news we're going to kind of break down specific players he was referring to on top of that should Tennessee William should Tennessee use a specific return specialist on offense? That was a little slip of the tongue there. There is somebody named Tennessee Williams, obviously, very famous arts person in American history. How big was the South Carolina win for recruiting purposes? The NCAA has updated some rules with a transfer portal, scholarship limit, and unofficial visit rules. We're going to get to that. And also Josh Heupel, a top 10 paid coach for the USA Today salary database. And week five, I'm sorry, week six, college football picks and bets. So, Caleb Jairo, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm happy to be on the Caleb show today. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, yep, it is the Caleb show. As I, And I told the story yesterday, since Dave's last name is Hooker, the name Caleb is a biblical name. He was one of the, he was the leader of the 12 spies for Joshua, sent a spy on Jericho. And how did he get into Jericho? Well, he shacked up with a with a hooker named Rahab. So that's that's where the name Caleb comes from. So we we were meant to work with hookers, Jaro. And so <laughs> um in that don't you love how I can draw those connections? <laughs> yes. I feel like every time I'm on here I get a new connection. 
<laughs> well, let's go ahead and dive in. We're going to start the show with Josh Heupel speaking yesterday. He spoke to the media ahead of Tennessee's bye week. And what really stood out to me, and we're going to get to this, is he spoke about players who missed the South Carolina game who he expects back by Texas A&M. There were three specifically. They were all hurt for the game. Dante Thornton at wide receiver, Andre Carrick at offensive line, and Jeremiah Crawford at offensive line. All three missed the game. Heupel said he expects all of them back for Texas A&M. But, Jairo, I want to ask you the question first. Who should Tennessee – who does Tennessee need back the most among those three? Uh, I would have to say Dante Thornton, honestly, just after the Drew McCoy injury. I know he's been sort of a lackluster addition compared to the preseason hype he got, but you lose Drew McCoy and now you're down one receiver. If, you, if one more person gets banged up in that receiver room, you're relying on, you know, Caleb Webb, Chaz Nimrod. You're going all the way down to, you know, a Nate Leacock to keep the wide receiver room going. So I think even though he's been kind of not lived up to expectations, kind of had a rough start to the season, he's still a veteran guy who has a lot of boom potential and a lot of natural skills. So I would have to lean Dante Thornton just after the Brew McCoy injury, but you can make an argument, I feel like, for the offensive lineman too because that unit is still struggling a little bit. Yeah, it's not Dante Thornton. And I would have said Dante Thornton, too, at the beginning of the year with the Brew McCoy injury. It's Jeremiah Crawford. I don't want to knock Dane Davis. I thought the right tackle position was fine last weekend against South Carolina. Texas A&M's front four is significantly better than South Carolina's front four. And you need Jeremiah Crawford for that game. He actually, if you really watch him, he hasn't been a significant drop-off from Darnell Wright. Now, Darnell Wright's amazing, but Jeremiah Crawford has been very reliable at right tackle when he's in the game. Theoretically, you would say Andre Carrick or Dante Thornton because they both actually fill a void at left guard and wide receiver. But the problem is, I don't think Andre Carrick, I'm going to say it, Jerry. I want to know what your thoughts are. I just don't think he can play at this level. I think he was overrated. Yeah, whenever you, his build is kind of doesn't look right for an offensive lineman. He doesn't look like he's got the weight that you need to be able to throw around in the SEC. <clears throat> and another thing is, unlike a John Campbell who started at Miami, Andre. Carrick struggled to get in the rotation at Texas and then came to Tennessee and was kind of inserted immediately. So you kind of saw it already that he wasn't the guy when he was a Longhorn compared to, you know, another offensive lineman transfer, John Campbell, who started at Miami and transferred for the sole fact that he just wanted more attention to help his draft stock. So now he's making a good contribution. Andre Carrick hasn't had that same transition. And I feel like he adds good depth just to have a veteran body who, whether he makes the block or not, I feel like he probably knows where to go at the right time. But, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I don't think he's necessarily ready at the SEC level. I think he has a year or two of eligibility, so he could obviously get there. But even at the at its barest, he's a um, veteran guy who can give you some depth on the line. Very true. Very true. And you would think that Dante Thornton would be that for receiver. The reason I wouldn't be as big on Dante Thornton is he just – again, I told Dave about this yesterday. Look – and you've covered some practices, so you you might be able to provide more insight than I could on this, but I'm seeing the raw talent from Dante Thornton, but I'm seeing a complete lack of effort all around. I mean, I just got to say it. It's it's I've called it disgraceful. I, I've seen a guy who does not care to fight for any ball, any jump ball, any 50-50 ball. The only impressive play he's made all year was that catch against Florida where Joe Milton dropped the only dime Joe Milton's ever dropped in his life, and it was on a third down play, but I haven't seen Dante Thornton go up on any of those type of balls. And I think that at this point, I just don't think he cares. 
And I think he took his NIL money to come to Tennessee. And I think he says he doesn't really care about anything else. And I, I'm, I'm calling him out. I'm, and I, I hope he hears this. I'm, I'm going to say it straight, straight up. I don't think Dante Thornton cares. And so I don't think it's a big deal if he's back on the field. I think Chaz Nimrod, Caleb Webb, I know you talk about going deep, but all these guys were fringe four stars coming out of high school, depending on the recruiting service you go by. So with the year in the system, I feel like you can trust Nimrod, Caleb Webb, or even Nathan Leacock, who, by the way, if you remember, made a lot of headlines last year during the bowl practices as he was an early enrollee. So I just think you're likely to get one of those guys to be able to fill the void. And and also, again, I, I think Dante Thornton being out there is just – I just think he's just an 11th guy and utterly useless because I don't think he's going to do what you need a wide out in this position to do. You know, I, I think Dante Thornton's probably been hindered by injury some. And you also have to remember, I mean, the offense has either been the wide receiver screens or over the top. You haven't seen a lot of intermediate game. And I feel like we almost have to see the intermediate game for Dante Thornton to shine. I will say, though, with the absence of Brew McCoy, you probably won't get another wide receiver out of any of the names listed that can block like Brew McCoy did. You just don't have – you don't have another receiver built that way. So even if you don't have a Dante Thornton going up for jump balls, like you say, he's – I mean, you're, I still think the blocking is going to be the biggest thing with Brew McCoy out. And your wide receiver game is going to struggle because with Brew McCoy on the outside, you're basically throwing to a running back. So you don't get that with Dante Thornton or really any of those wide receivers. But Dante Thornton-wise, I feel like it's almost – I mean, he was hindered with injury a little bit in fall camp, kind of had a lingering injury. I wonder if he's struggling to get the system because it's not easy definitely to come from halfway across the country to learn the system. But – then again, I mean, we'll have to see what happens. I don't know if they even want to move Dante Thornton to the outside to replace Brew McCoy or if they just want to call up one of the young guys and kind of keep Dante Thornton exclusively in the slot. That's another question mark. Josh Heifel didn't really mention it that much. He said they could every wide receiver could play inside or outside. Well, obviously they can play inside or outside, but he did answer the question if Dante Thornton will play inside or outside. So that's still to be determined, and that's something we can probably find out here pretty soon. Yeah, it was actually really cagey the way he did it yesterday, which I didn't get. I mean, is the gamesmanship that much that you can't let us know if, if like, Squirrel White's going to play on the outside or not when we know he's going to play in the slot? I mean, it's, you know, he he's probably the worst at gamesmanship that's unnecessary. This is a guy who wouldn't even tell us who the starting quarterback was going to be two years ago in his head of his first game against Bowling Green. Like, do you need that against Bowling Green? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean – Dante, I don't know what Dante Thornton can give you on the outside that he wouldn't give you in the slot anyway. Just be a taller guy on the outside. So, yeah, I don't – the gamesmanship was a little much, I thought. But still, I don't know if they want to try to test him at the outside. We haven't seen him at the outside that I can remember. And you have some younger guys like a Caleb Webb who have stepped up already. So do you want to go with the youth or do you want to try to move Dante outside and just keep experimenting with him? I don't – I think – honestly, you probably just want to leave him in the slot because – if like we talked about, if he's struggling in the slot and he's kind of taking him a couple games to get it under his belt, I think the worst thing you could do is move his position and give him a whole nother set of problems and assignments on the field. So how does Tennessee screen game work without Brew McCoy? Cause you're right. The biggest thing that Tennessee was able to do was with Brew out there was to block. And I mean, Thornton can't replace that. I mean, can, can they still run these same screens or is, I mean, Joe Milton's going to have to start completing more passes downfield, right? Yeah. I think you have to open can, uh, I don't see how you can do anything else besides the intermediate game because 
the only way the screens work is you hit a guy like Squirrel White on the outside, and then you have Brew McCoy take off the first cornerback. Well, Squirrel White can get five, six, seven yards at the speed easily, plus more if he can battle. Well, it takes – I mean, it takes that away. You don't have to respect it as much. Brew McCoy, we saw his blocks on Joe Milton's whatever, 70, 81-yard run or whatever it was to start the game. It just – that's going to be the biggest place they miss for McCoy. I don't think you have a replacement. I think you're going to have to open up the slants, the posts over the middle of the field and try to get something working there and hope that Joe Milton can complete it because your screen passes are going to go from the 10, 11 yards they were going for to 7, 8. I don't I, – I guess you have to open up the middle of the field. Yeah, that's going to happen, and Joe Milton's going to have to improve his touch on the ball on those slants and things like that over the middle of the field. Um, so I would say that – yeah, this is a that's that's going to have to be the case. And the message board is bringing it up. Ragged Top Tom says they're going to have to start calling downfield throws now. No more twelve to fifteen screens a game. And then this is going to show why Joe Milton may be a liability or maybe not. We don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, I get why people think he will be on this. Um, D comes in and okay, D's trying to play the hype is smarter than me. I'll never understand. His ways. It's why he makes nine million. We're going to talk about Heibel's salary a little bit later in the show, um, <laughs> but uh, but he also says Dante can't hold on to anything more than ten yards. That's an interesting one. And Travis Case, this is an interesting point. Could they switch it up to the tight end screens? I, I floated to Dave lining up Jacob Warren like in the wideout spot a couple of times a game. If you but I mean the only problem is the minute you do that, that's when you probably know the screen is coming, isn't it? Yeah, you're going to have to, either with Hammer Castles, you're going to have to line him up in the wideout spot and show that you're not going to call a screen, which means you also have to have tight end routes from the wideout spot. So I'm not sure what they could do. They also don't have to throw it to the tight end. You can just throw it to the wide receiver and use the tight end as the lead blocker. Or maybe even, you know, Warren and Castles both line up in the slot sometimes. Maybe have them in the slot and the wide receiver just run towards them after they catch the screen. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with it there, but you're right. As soon as they see a tight end split out wide because they do to the slot some so you kind of expect that but when as soon as you see a tight end split out wide you know something's up and they're running a screen it's not very hard to tell so you're gonna have to have something to mix it up and keep defenses off balance exactly and what will help to be fair on the offensive line spot jeremiah crawford this is why i'm going back to jeremiah crawford being the most important jeremiah crawford back in at right tackle he'll be able to you know spread out and get some of those outside blocks too on certain screens when the pass is thrown. So I think now he can't block downfield, obviously, but as you and I know, college football has been very, very loose with the downfield blocking rules over the past five years, I could say, and Heupel's taking advantage of that. So somebody like Jeremiah Crawford could really take it, could really cash in on that. Yeah. The whole downfield blocking thing is just, I mean, if you, if you call it once, you have to call it every time, but then they'll, they only call it on third down and 10, whenever it's needed or it, I don't blame Hypo for taking advantage of it because I do the same thing if they're not going to call it. Yep. Portions of the program are brought to you by Andy Mason Real Estate. For the best prices and service in real estate in Knoxville, there's just one place, andymasonrealestate.com. Andy and his partners have been in the real estate business for a combined 40 years. They know how the market works and how to save you thousands of tens of thousands of dollars. Andy Mason at Andy Mason Real Estate. Com. Moving on, not a total change from what we were just talking about, but there was a little bit of news for those who are interested about D. Williams, Tennessee's return specialist, who also technically is a defensive back. D. Williams posted an Instagram story a couple of days ago. I think it was yesterday. 
of him next to Squirrel White and said, almost time, question mark. Most of all, Nation is reading into that, that maybe D. Williams is going to see some action on offense. So with Brew McCoy hurt, I don't think he's, he's obviously not the physical presence. He's not a blocker, like you said. He's not going to win one-on-one battles at wideout. But he's very shifty with the ball in his hands. Jarro, should Tennessee consider D. Williams on offense? I don't I don't see why not. I mean, he can only help you. Like you said, I don't think with Rue McCoy going out, you're not splitting Squirrel White or D. Williams outside to replace Rue McCoy. So I don't think it would be in um, replacement of Rue McCoy or anything like that. But I think if you have packages for D. Williams, like jet sweeps, or maybe line them up in the slot sometimes, give Squirrel a break, I don't see why not. It makes it even more important now that Dante was hurt. Squirrel had to play every snap which I know they don't like to sub on offense, but still you want to get those guys a break sometimes so they're fresh near the end of the game. So if D understands the offense enough, which I'm not sure if he does, he could at least at least give Squirrel a break in the slot sometimes. He's a playmaker. I think if you just put the ball in his hands, he'll get some yards. We see it on the returns that always happen to get called back for holds, but he he's able to make something happen. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, and I think you do alternate D and Squirrel White in the slot because – you're right. They don't like to sub. They don't like to sub on a drive, but they like to sub every other drive. You know, they like to put different players in for every other drive, and then you play the whole drive. That's how they keep you fresh in this offense. And the, the opposite of Spurrier, I don't. You you probably don't know this, but in the '90s, Spurrier had about three games where he alternated quarterbacks every play. He would bring in a separate quarterback, call the play for the quarterback, and bring him in. It was just the craziest thing. It helped. He upset Florida State doing that in '97, but he lost to Tennessee doing that in '98. I think that. I, I am with you that I think you could alternate D Williams and Squirrel White. And also playing the slot receiver specifically is that's one of the positions where it's kind of easy to pick up this offense because you're just running go routes half the time anyway. Let's be honest. I mean, it's not what you're doing. Yeah, I think if you put D out there and just tell him don't jump off sides, I think I think you're <laughs> don't fall start. I think you're good because there's only certain things you would have to do. You just know if it's run or pass, and then like you said, run his go route or run left or right. I just I I think it it wouldn't it definitely wouldn't hurt and if they don't have a backup slot receiver which you assume they don't after Dante after Dante's injury then I don't see why you don't put him out there and give Squirrel a break or if Squirrel gets shaken up just have D as a backup plan. Yeah, that's where I'm at too with you. I mean, it's it, it's at least he's a backup, but then yeah, you could alternate them. I mean, look, this could be to go back to our last segment. This could be if they do this, it could be an indictment against Dante Thornton. Forget his help, but forget his health. It could be they just think D. Williams would be more reliable in the slot than Dante Thornton at this point, which that's crazy to think about. But is am I am I taking a big leap on that? No, I think you'd be right, and I'm curious to see D. Williams catch the football because we haven't seen a lot of people or a lot of wide receivers in this offense be consistently catching the football. So I wonder if D. can catch passes from Joe Milton consistently, and I wonder what that looks like. I'm now I'm curious if we're going to get – he's going to post a video, too, to go along with his Instagram story so we can see him, see if he's sure-handed at the slot spot. Well, given Joe Milton's touch, I'm telling you, if you're not already a receiver, I don't think you can just plug a guy in to catch those 100-mile-an-hour fastballs over the middle. <laughs> uh, he'll probably, probably end up with a broken finger if he's not careful. But I, I am – people talk about how confusing the offense is, and D. Williams obviously worked out with the defensive back. So I'm curious to see what he looks like in um, – what he can do in the offense if he's given the opportunity. 
like you said, I don't think they like to sub during drives, but obviously penalties, timeouts happen. I wonder if he can um, kind of sub in and give them something to do there. Yeah, I think that would be a good move. I think, um, I think again, like you talked about, at the very least, a change of pace. You know, bring him in for a jet sweep. All of a sudden, you have the defense on his heels for anything else. So then you bring him in a few more times. He's a decoy. I, I said the same thing with Joe Milton a couple of weeks ago. I had insisted for a while he needs to run more, and then he runs for 181-yard touchdown. Totally changes the UTEP defense. Totally changes the South Carolina defensive game plan against Tennessee. And all you needed was that one run by Milton, and then everybody's got to change up a little bit of what they do. And that that helps him overcome his inability to make accurate passes over the middle a lot of times. So I think that you bring if Joe Milton can't run next week still because he's got that brace on his leg, yeah, bring in D. Williams for a play or two. That's a total change of pace. And then all of a sudden, defense is consistently on its heels every single time he's in the game. Now – do you think that D Williams is more fit? Now let's put this out there because he's technically listed as a defensive back, but he's not really playing defensive back. He's only playing return specialist at this point. Do you think it's possible that D Williams is more fit for an offensive player than a defensive player? I I'm, I mean, you always see the defensive backs returning the ball like a Tyron Matthew, but I think if he's a playmaker on kickoffs and punts, when you put the ball in his hands and, I don't see why you wouldn't want to do that on offense. My thing, the first thing I thought of when I saw the thing you sent me was, is he conditioned enough to play in that offense? I guess because he's only returning kicks and punts. Is he conditioned enough to, you know, run a go route, then go back to the line of scrimmage, then run another go route, and then do it for seven, eight plays consistently would be my only question if you want to leave him in long. But I think, honestly, just put the ball in his hands and let him make a play, which is probably what they tell him at defensive back, too, is just play the ball and, He's probably a ball hawk in the defense as well. We haven't seen him much a defensive back in any rotations at all this year, so I don't see why you don't just throw him at wide receiver, even in the backfield, and just see what happens, kind of keep the defense on their heels. I don't know if you want to test that in high leverage situations, but on, if you're early in the game, maybe you can set to say and just throw him out there and see what happens. If, it's, if it succeeds, then go for it. But if not, then get away from it. But Joe, just tell Joe Milton to throw the ball to the sky. And tell D to catch it like a punt and see what happens. <laughs> if Joe Milton throws it to the sky, it might actually hit the moon. Um, <laughs> D Williams will be somewhere, somewhere in the end zone, hopefully calling a fair catch on the pass. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, just, I think you have nothing. You don't lose anything if it doesn't work out. Then you just know you can't play offense. Yeah, I agree. And maybe even line up, line him up at running back on the play just for the heck of it, mm-hmm. just hand him the ball because with, with, just don't this, run it in between the tackles. Yeah, well, on the right side, it's okay with Cooper Mays and Javante Spragans, but don't run. Other side might get him killed. Yeah, the other side, yeah, the other side will get destroyed. All due respect to um, Ollie Lane, who I think was playing his butt off on Saturday. I just think that he hadn't been, he hadn't been Spencer Riley we had on Sunday or on Monday, and he basically pointed out that Ollie Lane had been taking snaps at center since the middle of fall camp because of the Cooper Mays injury, so he probably wasn't fully ready to play left guard. Andre Carrick was hurt and can't play left guard. So I'm sorry to say that out loud, but. <laughs> yeah, that was a very, a very tough ask for Ollie Lane to go from the first four games at center to find out on Thursday that, hey, we need you at guard. And I think he did fine for what he was doing. I'm just saying, like, those running backs can take a hit anywhere in between the tackles. My only thing with D. Williams would be if you throw him in between the tackles and he gets a big defensive lineman on him, 
There's no big defensive lineman tackling him on kickoffs. So that's that would be the only thing there. I think jet sweeps or get him on the outside of the tackles and let his speed go to work would could be very successful. I still think, like like I've said before, just test it and see what happens because you're not losing anything if it doesn't work because you still have a good punt returner. Right, exactly. And uh, we got a question from Daniel. Any info on Cam Selden's progress? Uh, I don't think there's an issue with Cam Selden's health. I just think that, look, guys, there's a lot of a lot of running backs that make noise in the screen as a smoke screen. And I just think that Tennessee has three good running backs right now in Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, and Dylan Sampson. And you're not really going to see any other running backs this year. I mean, that's how yeah, and you have to you have to remember all three of those guys went through injury in the spring too. So somewhere along the way, Cam Selden became, you know, running back one or two in the spring, which I think it, going down the road, he'll be super good. I just don't think with Jalen Wright, Dylan Sampson, and Jabari Small, you don't need him right now, which is good. Let him develop. Let him learn from those guys. Yep. Rocky Top Tom has the joke of the day, and Dave is going to kill me because I'm going to show this message. We might have talked about Joe Milton throwing it to the moon. And <laughs> for those on our message board, Rocky Top Tom said that he'd missed the moon and hit a certain planet that is right before Neptune in our solar system. We'll just say that. Um, <laughs> um, one quick question uh, on this. Here's a question of the year from Orange Blood. Why can't Joe take snaps under center? Um, we something do victory formation from the shotgun in our own end zone. Oh, uh, I, I, taking snaps under center is harder than you guys think when you when you practice in an offense like this and you're always in the shotgun it's not easy it's actually easier to get in the shotgun after practicing under center all the time than it is to get under center after practicing in the shotgun all the time it's it's actually a lot more complicated under center and i i just don't they had hooker do it a few times last year the one time they i saw them do it this year was on a fourth and one and they got stopped on the fourth and one because john campbell whiffed on a block against virginia i haven't seen them do it otherwise we're not going to see a lot of Joe Milton under center this year. We don't show yardage plays, are we, Gyro? Probably not. I I don't like the shotgun on fourth and one, third and one, or on the goal line. I think you should be able – and now with Cooper Mays back, I wonder if we'll see it a little more. Calhoun, I wonder if they were worried with – you know, you already have a new center and you throw in another wrinkle like going under center. I wonder if that's maybe why they didn't do it as much. I would like to see, I mean, Joe Milton, with Cooper Mays pushing Joe Milton just QB sneak if they're ever on the one-yard line. I don't, I mean, he's massive. I don't see why that wouldn't work. So I would like to see it more on short yardage situations. I don't think we will see it more on short yardage situations. We'll probably just see a wide receiver screen. Yep, I agree. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of recruiting news. Uh, Tennessee had a lot of visits in the stands last week against South Carolina. How big of a deal was that for them? And also uh, some NCAA rules that might affect a lot of teams on the recruiting trail. We're going to talk about that. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Two minutes. Got cataracts. We can fix that. Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history 
and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler, and we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine. A drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity. A hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend. A refreshment that can only be found in one place. With a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff. Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Welcome back to Off the Hook Sports. It's the Caleb Show again today with Dave Hooker out. Guys, please hit that like and subscribe button and turn your notifications on. We crossed a milestone yesterday, 3,000 subscribers. An incredible, incredible accomplishment that we consider for ourselves, given the fact that we started this thing, I mean, there we're talking 16 months ago. So we're very, very proud of that. Please tell a friend. We are doing something really, really special here. We're having a lot of fun with it. And again, please hit the like, subscribe, turn notifications on. You don't want to miss it. This is your. This is the best place for college football coverage. I'm just going to tell you that right now. We are the most objective people in the world. It's there's not a close second. And so I just we're objective. We're entertaining. We're fair, and we love all of you guys. So I want to move on to a little bit of recruiting news, and I've got our resident recruiting expert here in Jairo. And so last week Tennessee had a lot of people on hand a lot of prospects on hand for the south carolina game those fan those prospects got to witness the dark mode uniforms neyland stadium at night which was so wild that spencer rattler thought tennessee treated it like a super bowl because he wasn't used to loud night games not realizing neyland stadium is always loud like that when you're playing an sec team at home and that's semi-competitive and then they got to see tennessee win Gerald, I want to get to some prospects specifically if we can, but before that, how big of a deal do you think just the win itself in that setting was for Tennessee in recruiting? Yeah, I think when you're going to bring recruits out and have a big weekend that you need to win the football game, and I feel like they won every facet of the game, and especially for the big recruits, like you ran the ball well, you got wide receivers involved, you had a pick six, good defense. I think every – prospect there was probably watching their position group and I feel like every position group played good on Saturday night to impress the prospects and beat South Carolina with the dark mode uniforms on with the environment like it was I feel like you checked every box and we see schools all the time bring out you know a ton of recruits for these games and then they end up losing the game and the 
recruits are kind of left wondering why they've even went to watch that team play. You didn't have that on Saturday night. You had Tennessee win, and I feel like they checked every box. The environment was on top. I mean, the team played well. It's everything you can ask for a big recruiting weekend, and I hope I figure that they'll probably have some success down the road from it. Yeah, and it's it's one thing if you and you're right, they had to win this game because the the long term stability of the program was at stake, and that matters to recruits as much as anything. It's one thing if it's 2021 Heupel's first year and all of this hype is happening, and you lose a game then, like the Ole Miss game that year that they lost at home. It's one thing if you lose that because it's the first year for Tennessee. It doesn't. It's not really a red flag for program stability long term. So all you really need to sell at that point is the excitement of the fan base, and you can tell the recruits, yeah, we lost this game, but you're going to be a part of taking it to the next level. It's harder to sell that your third year. So you actually have to win. And particularly winning against South Carolina, which is a crucial recruiting battleground state for Tennessee. I talked about this after Tennessee beat Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Tennessee relied heavily on South Carolina when they were in their heyday. I mean, all four of their starters on their defensive line in 98 came from the state. They need to cash in on Clemson declining as a program, and they need to make sure South Carolina – they need to make it very clear South Carolina is not on their level. And I, I, it's even though last year happened, I do think Saturday night, don't you, Jairo, gave a vibe that they're, they let recruits know we are a step above South Carolina in every way. Yeah, I would feel that way. And I feel like also it kind of helps drive the narrative that last year's game against South Carolina in that dominant season was truly a fluke where they didn't play as well. Like they lost that game in every aspect just because just about everything that went wrong could. So I think that even adds some credibility to players who saw the game last year and thought, wow, South Carolina is the place to be, that now you beat South Carolina. And South Carolina's three losses now, I'm pretty sure. You got Georgia. They lost that opener in North Carolina, which was a big recruiting weekend as well. So you're just establishing yourself better than South Carolina in every aspect now. And like you said, there's a lot of battles, for even for prospects not in South Carolina, just prospects considering South Carolina that Tennessee can now say, hey, why would you go over there? We just beat them on our home field and you were there watching it. Yeah. And last year, Cam Pringle, Mazio Bennett, they're at Tennessee if the South Carolina game doesn't happen as it's just that simple. Uh, moving on to prospects this week, let's talk a little bit about some Jero. Uh, how did some of these prospects react to going to that game on last Saturday? Cause we had Tennessee had a lot of players in the, in the stands, didn't they? Yeah. I think overall it was good. I think the biggest one for Tennessee probably was Daniel Hill He's a four-star running back, listed as an athlete, but he's going to be a running back that was visiting Tennessee. This staff really wants another running back to pair with Peyton Lewis, and now they've kind of tabbed Dylan, Daniel Hill excuse me, as that guy, 6'1", 220. South Carolina was probably his top school coming into Saturday, and he took his official visit this weekend where Tennessee beat the brakes off of South Carolina at Neyland Stadium. So that's probably going to sway him a little bit. We probably have to. He took an official visit to South Carolina as well. So we'll probably not see his decision until later in the year, but I feel like Tennessee is in a very good standing with him after that game. Got to see the environment. Just everything about that Saturday went well for Tennessee in that aspect. And then your second, he's from Meridian, Mississippi. So he's another guy, Daniel Hill, where you're not, he's not, you're not competing for a prospect that's in South Carolina, but it's somebody who's considering both schools from an outside place. Your second official visitor was Cam Michael. He's the number eight athlete in the country, number 139 prospect. He's another guy that they wanted to get on campus for an official visit and kind of try to sway him with that environment. And I feel like they probably did that. He's officially visiting Texas A&M this weekend. So I'm sure he'll be watching when A&M comes to Knoxville next weekend as well. Those are the two official visitors, which I feel like are probably 
the biggest ones, Calhoun. You also had five-star offensive tackle Jordan Seaton in the stands. He canceled his visit to Oklahoma to be in Knoxville this past weekend. That was a pretty big visit. You see the offensive line depth that's needed after this season. And a lot of that starts with guys. They need to get guys who can come in and play immediately, not guys that need a year or two to develop. I feel like Jordan Seaton can be one of those guys that can come in and make an impact. Yeah, and Jordan Seaton, for those who are interested, actually hails from – he's originally from Washington, D.C., but he's going to IMG Academy at Brandon, Florida right now. Josh Heupel, given his success at UCF, has some connections down there, which should be really, really helpful. Um, and uh, you bring up Cam, Cam Michael. He's from Statesboro, Georgia, which – this is why the South Carolina game was so big. Statesboro, that's not Atlanta area, guys. That's closer to Savannah. It's almost on the South Carolina border where he's from. So this, if anybody, if there was any school outside of Georgia that had a pipeline for him, it would be South Carolina or maybe Clemson. Those schools may actually have a bigger pipeline than Georgia did. So it was big for Cam Michael to be in the stands to witness that game. Daniel Hill Meridian, Mississippi is on the Alabama border. And so you could still see the Tide or Auburn come in and make a move. But South Carolina being his top school in Tennessee, doing what they did on Saturday, that's a big deal. And I think what's really going to help Look, Williams-Brice Stadium is a good recruiting selling point for anybody who's been there. It gets loud. It's a loud – it's one of the louder stadiums. It's not It's not the Swamper Gainesville or, – or it's not the Swamper Baton Rouge, but it. I would I would actually consider it on that level to a certain degree with Neyland and now, now Brian Denny, given the fact that they've closed the bowl of Brian Denny. But if South Carolina is two and three and they're not going anywhere – when is his, do you know when his next visit is? Uh, Daniel Hill's visit to South Carolina, Jero? I want to say I think he's done with visits, and if oh, he, he does, it'll be an, it'll be an unofficial visit if he takes another one. So, I don't, those are always super fluid, and he could probably decide Friday, Saturday well, morning he wants to go to the game and go. Well, if Tennessee made an impact on him, did he visit South Carolina for the Mississippi State game? Do you know? He know. took his official to South Carolina in the summer, so Tennessee will be one of his only game visits. Okay, so he might take an – he would probably – if Tennessee altered his opinion, then my guess is he would take an unofficial visit just to be sure. The good mm-hmm. news for that for Tennessee is that if South Carolina starts stumbling, let's be honest, I don't care if it's Tennessee or LSU or Florida, it's going to be the same in South Carolina. That, that There's going to be apathy that sets in with the crowd, and it's not going to be the same Rockin' Stadium when he visits, right? No, I would have to say the same thing. I mean, what do the – fans really have to cheer for now that the season's basically over for South Carolina, all of their goals they were supposed to achieve, you know, with Spencer Rattler coming back and a couple of the wide receivers coming back, they're supposed to be competing. Now they're just fighting to get in a bowl game, honestly. And they were supposed to be competing for the SEC East. So I'm with you. That stadium gets loud. You have sandstorm, you have all of that, but I don't think it'll be the same environment if he visits, you know, later in the year, even this, whoever they have this weekend, just to see it. I don't think, like you said, I don't think the crowd can get up for Missouri or whoever else they have left on the schedule when you know that your season's basically toast. Yeah, I agree. So I think that's a big – I think Tennessee should want him to take another visit to Williams-Brice, honestly, for that reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, it would help them. And Alabama's in there for Daniel Hill, which is another thing. But I feel like even if it comes down to – I feel like no matter what, that visit on Saturday probably ended South Carolina's chances or at least diminished them greatly. So it might become a Tennessee Alabama battle or somebody else, but 
I don't think South Carolina will be able to compete with Tennessee if those are his top two schools at the end of his recruitment. I'm going to tell you something that's helped hurting Alabama recruiting when they bring kids for visits for home games. And it's going to, and it's actually starting to hurt Georgia because of what the players do is seeming to the fans. When you win that much, apathy sets in to a point to where for like your standard SEC game, like a night game against South Carolina, your fans just aren't that loud because they expect to win that game 57 to nothing. And it's almost like it, they, they start treating college football regular seasons like the NBA regular season which is it's just a game to get better, you know, yada, 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 move on to the next one. And that filters with the fans that actually, so they become a victim of their own success, which hurts them on the trail because the stadiums aren't as exciting when they're there. I'm just going to be honest. There was a period where Alabama got sick of winning and you could tell their fans were sick of winning. Yeah. And and you have, yeah, you have that. And you also have like Nick Saban borderline retiring soon and nobody knows when he is. So that always plays in the recruits. I mean, that's a good counter recruiting point. Like if it's Alabama and another school, you could say, well, by the time you're a sophomore or junior, Nick Saban might not even be the coach over there anymore. Yet, despite all of that, they're still able to pull five stars and top five classes. So we, I guess we should take that all with a grain of salt because he's still able to find success. Now, late in the class like this, I do think those little things could sway a kid like Daniel Hill's mind back and forth. Yeah, I agree. Because the ones that we're thinking about, about it rationally, which if you think rationally, you commit to Nick Saban because you look at your NFL potential, that those guys make those commitments in the summer. Which, by the way, you're not going to commit to South Carolina in the summer for that because there's no proof that Shane Beamer is doing that for you. <laughs> there's no proof that he's getting you ready for the NFL. But, yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's and these players at, at, at this caliber, once they start becoming fringe five stars, NIL is not going to sway them as much because they're looking at who's they're not they're not dumb enough to sacrifice an NFL career for a few extra hundred thousand bucks at, at playing college ball. They're just not. Yeah, I think it was the athletic who did a big research like database thing, and they found that five stars, whether you go to the worst SEC school or the best SEC school, still are drafted by the highest percentage. So that I mean, you're right. They're looking at NFL. They're not worried about money or. You would think they're not worried about stuff like that. I'm sure winning championships and going to a winning team obviously plays a role. But also, if you're playing on a winning team, then you're probably going to get drafted anyway. So it all kind of goes hand in hand. I I agree with you. Yeah. Where you get drafted is more important than your NIL because where you get drafted is where you it determines your guaranteed contracts in the NFL. And so that's the biggest focus for college athletes is where they get drafted, particularly five stars who know they're going. Want to move on a little bit to some more somewhat recruiting news. There was the NCAA Division One Council met, I believe it was yesterday, and they changed a lot of rules. So there's three specific rules they changed. I want to go through each of them, but then we'll first talk about which one's the most important. So the first rule they changed, they dropped the 25 player per year scholarship limit. So the NCAA's rule was you can never have more than 85 scholarship players at a time, and you can never sign more than 25 players per year. They got rid of the 25 players per year and just said 85. You just can never have more than 85, and it's your choice on how you want to go about that. The second change is the transfer portal window reduced to 45 total days per year for every sport. Now, it's different when those windows open. There's 15 days here, maybe 30 days here, 20, whatever. But it can't be more than 45 days per year. You have, if you're an athlete, 45 days to make a decision on the transfer portal window. And then the next one is... They have banned photo shoots on unofficial visits. 
that Gucci Mane song photo shoot came into my mind from like 2009. But <laughs> which one of these is the biggest deal, Jero? Well, I can tell you, in my opinion, the least is the transfer portal for the simple fact that most of those kids know they're transferring way, but like the portal doesn't open and they're like, oh, I want to transfer now. Like, you know, you're transferring way before. So I would say the portal is definitely the least. And then honestly, the scholarship, the 25 limit hasn't been enacted since COVID, I believe. I would probably say that's the biggest change because if you have a 25 person signing limit, you don't get what Dion did at Colorado. So I think it, you expedite kind of reviving programs when you can sign more than 25 guys and kind of rebuild programs. And in all honesty, for a team like Tennessee or a lot of SEC teams, I don't think you're often approaching that 25 limit anyway. I think you're usually about 19, 20, 21 kids per class anyway. So I think that's probably the biggest overall, but I don't think that affects Tennessee as much. The, the unofficial photo shoots, I'm not sure what the point of changing that was. I don't know who was affected by getting photos taken on unofficial visits. I feel like that was – partially like a motivator for kids to take unofficial visits. Yeah, I I think that might be the big thing. They just don't want the unofficial visits. But like, I think kids take unofficial visits to help. One, Dave and I talked about this. You should be allowed to take as many visits as you want to try to determine. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be pampered by the school every time you go. But you should be allowed as many visits as you want to make your decision. They're taking these unofficial visits because they want to I mean, who can they want to make sure they're they want to be sure about a decision they make. I mean, this is their future. Like we we're we're sitting there criticizing kids when they're waffling about things. This is a big deal and it's your future. I mean, for every Tennessee fan that might complain about that, guys, Peyton Manning didn't commit to Tennessee until January of ninety-four, a month before national signing day was when he committed. And I think he visited during the ninety-four ice storm, like two weeks before. And so <laughs> You know, he never even had been in Neyland Stadium for a football game, but he just had a connection and felt something right about the place. It's So a little bit of history lesson for, for you guys here. I'm with you. The scholarship limit's the biggest one, and it hasn't been around since 2019. And Dion definitely took the most advantage of it. This is going to – there's going to start being a question of what it does is it resets the market for coaches. You're not getting four years to turn around a program anymore. You might get two with the scholarship limit with, with the, with no scholarship limit, because it's going to be like, Oh, you can just bring in the talent you want. So quick history lesson, Joe, you be, might not know this, but Johnny majors won his national title at Pitt because there were no scholarship limits. Now, Johnny majors takes over Pitt in 1973 and has the largest signing class in history. I think he had close to like 45, 50 guys or something like that included in there was Tony Dorsett and just signed every single elite player he possibly could. The next year, the NCAA put in the scholarship limits. Well, that whatever class at Pitt won the national title in 76. And Tennessee goes and hires them in 77. And the scholarship limits are in place, which obviously the scholarship limits require you to be a lot more meticulous with how you go about offering and things like that with your class. Well, because Johnny Majors had to be more meticulous, it actually hurt him a little bit. And he never did replicate the success he had at Tennessee that he had had at Pitt but he had the success at Pitt because he signed a gigantic class in 1973. And he was never able to do that again. And that created, so I I actually think the scholarship limit is the Johnny majors rule because of what he did at Pitt in 1973. And so it was, it's kind of funny how that works out because that class, him doing that 
raise his profile enough for Tennessee to hire him back home in 1977 and totally alter the landscape of Tennessee football history. So just kind of an interesting tidbit about that. I bet you didn't know that, did you? <laughs> I did not know that, but I do know that now that Dion did what he did at Colorado, you don't, you won't see coaches like Billy Napier have the leash that they're going to have in the future because everybody's going to be compared to him. I feel like it's kind of changed the landscape. And now that there's really no signing limit, it's just, it, I mean, the floodgates are open for if coaches don't win or in one, two, three years, just hire another guy and see if he can do it. Yeah, I agree. And also with Dion at Colorado, you're right. Billy Napier's leash is, short, is doubly short because don't think for a second Florida's not going to try to open a checkbook for him now. And given the fact that he went into Florida State, that'd be the best coup they could ever pull off just to get Dion as head coach. <laughs> yeah, and I mean – the loss at Kentucky and Billy Napier's comments to the media, it just – it does not seem like things are going well in Gainesville anymore. Even after no. the win to Tennessee. Like, I thought that would at least buy him another year because you beat Tennessee at home, stadium was full, and then you just kind of go to Lexington and do the complete opposite. It's crazy what they have going on. Yeah, Florida's a better team at night. Uh, and it, I, this is all about when teams practice. You know this. Tennessee practices – what they practice at like seven, don't they? So I think they have to be – they start meetings at 7 and then practice at 9. Yeah, so Tennessee's up early in practicing. And Florida, I think, does the late afternoon practices. And so when you play a noon game at, at, at Kentucky, who also practices in the morning, that's going to favor them. But when you play a home game against Tennessee at night, that's going to favor you. On top of that, Tennessee's being dealt with Cooper Mays. The Swamp is imposing. Florida put everything they had into that game because they knew that like Billy Napier's career was hinging on that game. <laughs> And so I think that they they literally just utilized everything they had to make sure they won that game. And so I think now you're just – yeah, coaches just aren't – look, who's who's the last successful coach that by his second year did not at least have nine wins one season? Jimbo still has a job, doesn't he? Yes, Does he have but nine wins? He, uh, Florida State he did his second year. I mean the second – but at, at Texas A&M? I don't think that up. Did he? That's a good but, question. His second year would but also his but also his buyout is so much that you have to give him more than two years. Right. That's and, a good, that's and, a very good point. And you give him the benefit of the doubt because you're in the SEC West and all of that. But I mean Billy Napier should be able to sneak out eight, nine wins with his schedule. That's true. Jimbo did win a national title, though, I think, which bought bought him a lot of leeway at mm -hmm. AM. And he he went nine and four his first year. And so that that helped. This is this is another Johnny Matrix for yeah, Johnny Matrix was. Four and seven his first year, five, five, and one his next year, seven and five, and then five and six. And everybody was wanting him fired, but he had bought so much leeway for winning the national title at Pitt and being a Tennessee guy that a lot of people let him. He had the Tennessee fans don't like to hear this, but Johnny Majors had the longest leash of any head coach in history, and nobody would get the leash he got today because he didn't even he didn't have a top 25 finish until his ninth year on the job at Tennessee. So yeah, Jimbo. You're right. Jimbo's just kind of muddying along, but look, Texas A&M did not hire him to muddy along and have the no. SEC West to be the excuse. They hired him to be Nick Saban at Texas A&M. And now Texas is entering the SEC, so Jimbo no longer can just get kids because he's in the SEC. Because before, yep. like for the longest time, you just go to like a Texas high school and say, hey, four-star prospect, we're in the SEC, Texas is not, you should come here. Now Texas is in the SEC, Texas is having success. And AM is just kind of like you said, mudding along. I mean, obviously Connor Wegman got hurt and they have Max Johnson, but 
what was Wegman doing before that was going to like stroke confidence in AM? Yeah, not much. As a matter of fact, I'm questioning Jimbo Fisher's and Bobby Petrino's acumen because I watched Max Johnson against Arkansas and he was better than Connor Wegman. I'm just going to be honest. But also, uh, when you watch Max Johnson's film at LSU, it was very, 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 very up and down. Like he'd have a super good game and the next game would be like three picks and a fumble. And so I wonder if they also saw that too. I just don't think they had a choice really. And I mean, you had to go in the portal and get Max Johnson. The AM situation is wild because they're always at the top of recruiting boards and you have the talent. And then also speaking of Bobby Petrino, just that hire in general kind of raises questions about Jimbo Fisher. So yeah, they did not hire him to do what he's doing, but I also don't know if they can afford to fire him yet. Yeah, it's true. And also they have the NIL budget that should allow them to get it. Maybe this new scholarship rule will actually help them. They could just sign a bunch of guys in one class with a bunch of NIL money. The the one thing I would say, I mean, I, I've had a joke. a and is the Mets of college football because you're talking about a program that has all the resources to have had multiple national titles and be as storied as the top 10. And I don't think they have one national title. And so it's kind of hilarious to look at like they have they are the most underachieving program in the history of programs in college football or maybe even any sport because there's no reason for them to not have been a blue blood for a long time yeah i'm kind of with you why, why doesn't a&m just sign a ton of sign 30 35 kids and then see who sticks because if you sign that many somebody's got to be good i mean you're signing blue trip prospects every year and it's not coming it's not turning into wins and I mean, obviously, you don't expect them to beat Alabama every year, but once every four years, maybe you beat Alabama. LSU should be a game they consistently win. It's just schools like that. And then they always have a dud. Like, whenever – for what Jimbo Fisher is being paid, I would expect – or it would be expected, I would say, for AM to be favored in Neyland Stadium with the roster he has and what he's getting paid. But I would highly doubt that AM is going to be favored when they come to Neyland Stadium. Oh yeah, we talked about this last night before Alabama this week. Their early line is AM by seven, or I'm sorry, Tennessee by seven, which is I think a really high line in favor of Tennessee. Yeah, but I think it's probably accurate with the way AM where AM's at right now. Now, for what Jimbo's getting paid and the talent they have on that roster just by straight recruiting rankings, it shouldn't be that way. But that's the way it is. And I think that's why I mean Jimbo's struggling over there. Yeah, it is. It is. And some are just overachieving. Or some players are just underachieving. Now, Walter Nolan has finally, it seems like, reached his potential. And I think Tennessee is going to – I think that was an NIL move for him to go to AM, honestly. But so I, I'm not going to – I also think he was right. He was from Texas too, wasn't he? I'm pretty sure he moved from Texas to here. Okay, that could make sense. Because he spent a lot of time in Memphis, Chattanooga, and Knoxville. So it was – Yeah, I don't – But, yeah, I agree with you. And he was the one that was trying to, like, draw up transfer rumors too. So – even though he's reached his peak, it's not really like the program is, you know, he wasn't a quiet guy, put his head down and worked. He was posting on Instagram about thinking about transferring and stuff like that. So even though he is reaching his potential, you still just don't, it doesn't feel like the program is where it should be with them. Yeah. It doesn't feel like players care about being there. You're right. That's, that seems the culture, but Jimbo Fisher did say, see, they're not going to sign the 35 to 40 guys because I don't know if you know this Jimbo Fisher, when Texas a was losing last year, he said, this is good for us on the recruiting trail because we can get guys who want to play immediately now. And I'm like, wow, smart, smart. The more you know, lose games <laughs> Re on purpose. <laughs> Reverse psychology. Load yeah. up five stars and then lose to get more five stars and then try to win. It, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make much sense. But, I, yeah, I agree with you. It just doesn't feel like they're where they're supposed to be. And when I think of Texas A&M and you think of, like, the big alumni base and, like, 
Aggies and the band and the midnight yell and all that stuff. The number one thing is like they're proud of Texas A&M no matter what. Like no matter how crazy it looks on the outside. And then your players aren't even like proud of Texas A&M. It's just not – it's an indictment on your program really. It is. It's a culture thing. And by the way, there was a culture problem at Florida State before Jimbo Fisher left. So this is two places he's been where there's been a culture problem. So psychologically, that that's an issue. Jaru, thanks for hanging with us. I know you got to go before the end of the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, you were amazing today. And thanks for all you do for us. Yep. The Caleb and Caleb show is now just the Caleb show. It is. It's now just the Caleb show. <laughs> I, I appreciate it, Caleb. I'll see you later. Thanks. Have a good one, Chiro. When we come back, we're going to do some predictions, and I've got some coverage to do about Josh Heupel's salary, believe it or not. So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to have a little bit of fun. Had a bad week on predictions, but I'm going to come back this week. So stick with us. Two minutes. Be right back. Sun, sand, and salt water. The beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers, featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee Vol collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. Have you seen the latest TriStar Hats Co. product? TriStar Hats Co.? What's that? You know, those really cool hats, shirts, tumblers, and even license plates with three stars like the official Tennessee flag and stripes like the American flag. Pretty patriotic if you ask me. Ah, gotcha. Seen those. Those are cool. Where can I get them? Simple. TriStarHatsCo.com. And if you order now, there's 10% on any order $50 or more. Plus, use the promo code HOOKED. With the promo code HOOKED, you get 10% off. That's HOOKED. And don't forget free shipping with any order over 50 bucks. Stock up at TriStarHatsCo.com. That's TriStarHatsCo.com. There are plenty of wannabes out there, so make sure you go to TriStarHatsCo.com for the best quality and customer service. Will do, and I'll be sure to use the promo code HOOKED. That's HOOKED when I do to save an additional 10% off. TriStarHatsCo.com. TriStarHatsCo is a trademark of TriStar Hats Co. LLC. Any use without express written consent is prohibited. Welcome back. Before we get to some money talk for a couple of things, I just got to say I like this comment. I like this comment by Elias Gray. If Jimbo signs too many guys, the boosters might spend too much on NIL and won't be able to pay his buyout. That's a good point. Never thought about that. Maybe Jimbo Fisher is running out of NIL money to spend on recruits because those boosters are thinking, yeah, we'd rather spend that money to pay out your contract because this is annoying what you're doing. Actually a great thought. Best take of the day so far. Not that you guys don't all have great takes, but that is the lead take as of right now for the day. And that list is fluid and can change if somebody else comes with something better. So let's move on. We've got some news about coach salaries. Speaking of money. Because it, that's, oh my gosh, that was a perfect transition. I didn't even think about that when I said it. But USA Today's salary database came out for head coaches. 
college football head coach salaries, all 100, I believe 20 of them that are at division one schools that aren't private schools. So the private schools, their salaries aren't out. They don't have to put those out. So number one is obviously Nick Saban at 11,407,000 with maximum bonus of 1.1 million. Dabo Sweeney is number two, 10,884,775. Kirby Smart's number three, 10,705,600. All of those make sense. All three have won multiple national titles. They're the only three that have won multiple national titles in college football. Ryan Day's number four at 10,271,250, the most underachieving coach given his salary and what he walked into. <laughs> Mel Tucker is at number five with 10,015,350. Obviously, Mel Tucker has recently been fired, fired for calls. I believe Michigan State is trying to avoid paying that buyout. I don't know if they will, though. So we're going to have to see how that goes. Brian Kelly is number six at 9,975,000. As of right now, that is overpaid. And I was somebody who believed in Brian Kelly, but he's let me down so far. So that is overpaid. Number seven, we just talked about him. Jimbo Fisher at 9,150,000. Just so you guys know, Jimbo Fisher's buyout is 77 million. Right? Uh, Kirby Smart's is now 92,625,000. So Kirby Smart has a higher buyout. However, Kirby Smart has earned it, and Jimbo Fisher has the second highest buyout. Rounding out the top 10, number eight is Mark Stoops at Kentucky, 9,013,600. $51 million buyout. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I actually believe Mark Stoops' number should be higher. I think what Mark Stoops does at Kentucky is one of the most impossible things possible. And then at number nine, tied for number nine on salary, to be fair, are Josh Heupel and Lane Kiffin, both at $9 million. Now, the difference is the maximum bonus, Josh Heupel's, is $1.7 million. Lane Kiffin's is $2.6 million. But the school buyout, Josh Heibels, is $46,500,000. So Josh Heibels, number nine, Lane Kiffin, number 10. The question becomes, does Josh Heibels deserve to be a top 10 paid coach? Now, before you guys sit there and say, obviously, because of what he did in 2022, there are coaches on this list that are below him that I'm going to name who have accomplished more than him to this point. Now, I'm not going to debate with Lane Kiffin. But James Franklin at Penn State's at 11, 8.5 million. Whatever you think about him, he has won a Big Ten title and coached in the Rose Bowl. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan is at 12, 8.8,254,600. Has won two Big Ten titles, gone to two college football playoffs. Heifel still hasn't won a Power 5 conference title, nor has a coach in the playoff. Luke Fickle at Wisconsin, 7.6 million. Luke Fickle has... Won a group of five conference championship. Actually, the same one that Josh Heupel won, the American. They both have won the American. However, Luke Fickle got Cincinnati into the playoff. Josh Heupel didn't. Although, to be fair, they both had undefeated regular seasons. So, at a power five level, you could say Josh Heupel's accomplished more. Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. 7.6 million. Mike Gundy has won the Big 12. Was a fluke Friday night loss in 2011 away from coaching in the national title game. So... Does Josh Heupel to this point deserve more than a James Franklin, Jim Harbaugh, or Mike Gundy, or even Luke Fickle? I'm going to say Luke Fickle, yes. But did he, James Franklin, Jim Harbaugh, Mike Gundy. Should any of those coaches be making more than Josh Heupel? I'm going to say Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin should. 
based on the school they're at, which is a power institution, the comp- the fact that they have a conference championship, and the fact that that Jim Harbaugh has gone to multiple college football playoffs. At the very least, Jim Harbaugh should be ahead of Josh Heupel. He should. As of right now, Jim Harbaugh should. That doesn't mean Josh Heupel. If you ask me who I take as a head coach tomorrow, I would take Josh Heupel. But I think Jim Harbaugh has proven more. I think Jim Harbaugh should be paid higher. Now, at the same time, there are people Josh Heupel should be higher paid than. One of those is Ryan Day. Ryan Day inherited a program from Urban Meyer and hasn't taken it to any level. I know he won. I know he's gone to multiple college football playoffs and he won the Big Ten a couple of times, but he's still, I'm sorry, he shouldn't be number four on this list. He's actually underachieved given where Ohio State was before he took over. Brian Kelly, I can't, if you're paying him based on what he did at Notre Dame, I kind of understand it. And so because of that, that's where Brian Kelly and Jimbo Fisher are a little bit hazy because you're paying them based on what they did at previous schools. That's how you lured them to your schools in the first place. Jimbo Fisher has a national title. Brian Kelly took Notre Dame to the national title game. And I don't care what you guys think about Notre Dame as a blue blood football program. Notre Dame is not a national title contending football program. It's not. It's not 1989. It's impossible nowadays to have that level of success at Notre Dame. There are too many other variables. So I could make the argument that Brian Kelly and Jimbo Fisher both deserve to be ahead of Heupel, but I could also make it the argument that Heupel deserves to be ahead of Kelly and Fisher. Mark Stoops, I told you Mark Stoops maybe should be the highest paid coach in college football right now. Winning it, like he's, there's what you can do at a place and what you're doing. And Mark Stoops has gone way above what is possible at a place. The same might actually be true of Dabo Sweeney because he's gone above what I thought was possible at Clemson. Nick Saban to at Alabama just because I thought any dynasty like that was uh, impossible to a certain degree. But Josh Heupel at nine. Does he belong at nine? That's the question. There's a few people that are bringing some good points up. I'm going to start with you, Travis. Uh, Every one of them are way overpaid. Gotta say I disagree. I know that's the concept that people say all the time. These coaches are overpaid. They're public employees, whatever. But... I can just tell you right now, Nick Saban is worth every penny and he's generally, he's brought in way more than he's getting paid. I say the same thing with professional athletes. You may not like the money they're making. They're generating way more. So if you believe in markets and you believe in capitalism, Michael Jordan was worth every penny he was making in the nineties in the NBA. Michael Jordan was underpaid in the nineties when he was playing until his last two years, LeBron James. I wouldn't say LeBron is underpaid because he wasn't stuck on a $4 million contract the way Michael was in the mid nineties but he's worth every penny he's getting. He's absolutely worth every penny he's getting and what he does for the NBA. So I say the same with these coaches. Now, some of them are overpaid because they're not delivering. You could say that with Jimbo Fisher, but that doesn't mean just on a general sense they're overpaid. Great question here from Rocky Top Tom, which is would Stoops have a title if he was at a different school, even just half a step up on the football tier like Ole Miss instead of Kentucky? That's a great question. I don't know if he could have it at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a harder place to win at than people realize. Lane Kiffin wants out of there. I love Oxford. Oxford's an amazing place, but it's a hard place to win for a few reasons. I know they had some history in the 60s. Um, I'm just going to say this, and I, I know this from the inner workings of, of the school and the history. When the SEC integrated in, 19, in the late 1960s, 1970s, Ole Miss is had had a bit of a notorious hostility to it. I'll just say that. And that's hurt the school's reputation for 30 to 40 years and made it really, really, really hard to recruit at Ole Miss high profile athletes on a national scale. 
I don't know if now if Ole Miss if if you got if Mississippi State or Ole Miss were kicked out of the SEC like if Mississippi State was kicked out then yeah Ole Miss could win a national title because the football talent at Mississippi State is absolutely incredible. Now and, and I do think Mark Stoops would actually have Ole Miss as a top ten program, top five program year in and year out. Um, okay, right time you bring A and M. Yes, if Mark Stoops is at Texas A and M, I think Mark Stoops has a national title by now. If he if they hired Mark Stoops instead of Jimbo Fisher in two thousand eighteen. Mark Stoops would have had a national title by, by now, easily. AM, Florida State, quite a few places, by the way. I think Mark Stoops would have won a national title. I think he's an incredible coach. Coach, he he's a great defensive coach, and he also has always been able to evolve offensively and he hires the right coordinators. I I, I think Mark Stoops is one of the greatest coaches out there. So it that it's just it's just that simple. Ball's time says you should be paid more if you coach in the SEC. There's something to that. There's something to that. And also, G. Smith, four-year sample size to make a fair assessment. Okay. All right. I I, I could I could go with that too. Um, and as as Elias says, for people who says coaches are overpaid, Tennessee fans were screaming in the 2010s. Pay a coach the money. I mean, pay pay a coach and the money will come. Yes, one of Tennessee's problems was they were cheap when they were hiring coaches. They also had a very, 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 very poor businessman who was their top booster in Jimmy Haslam, who, as we found out later, his company was $4 billion in debt. So maybe he didn't have the money to pay coaches the way Tennessee thought he did. And maybe that was the issue. But yes, uh, Travis says if Kentucky played in the ACC, Stoops would play for a title almost every year. Now, that's a thing to say because people bring that up with Clemson. But Look, Clemson recruits better than Kentucky. It's in a better location for recruiting. I, and, and also, when you go to Kentucky, you know you're going to be second fiddle to basketball. That doesn't help with recruits. So even though Clemson's in the ACC, they do recruit better than Kentucky. I don't think Kentucky could replicate what Clemson did in the ACC. I don't. And, and, and if you question that, I mean, Mark Stoops has coached at Kentucky over a period of 10 years where for a while, the SEC East, not the SEC, but the SEC East was bad. Now, while the SEC as a whole was a tougher conference, you guys have to remember there has been periods where the East was, I mean, the Big Ten East is, was tougher than the SEC East. You could actually make that argument this year. And so it's not like Stoops hasn't had a clearer path to winning the division. I mean, the, I mean Missouri won the division, the first, the second and third year in the league. So there are times when the East was down. I just don't think it's possible to do what you want to do at Kentucky. But I, I, I get y'all's points. Um, and and so you're right. And Elias has, is right. Kentucky is right there with Arkansas for one of the worst states in the SEC for talent. It is. And one thing Arkansas has that Kentucky doesn't is Arkansas can at least go into Texas and get some talent. Texas A&M joining the SEC. We kind of underrated how much that hurt Arkansas because Arkansas had a decent – credible program before that because they could go into texas and sell being in the sec and out recruit texas a and texas and oklahoma now with all three of those schools in the sec arkansas is just in big 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 trouble as a program long term so i, I think we're all pretty high on mark stoops i'm with you guys I, I think mark stoops has maxed out what's possible at kentucky just like bear bryant maxed out what was possible at kentucky in the 40s and the 50s Josh Heupel's probably where he needs to be. He needs to be, but I do think it's clear cut that Jim Harbaugh should be making more than Josh Heupel right now, and that's that's my only pushback on where he needs to be with his salary. As far as maximum bonus, you guys are gonna love this. Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State has a five million dollar maximum bonus. 
Hugh Freeze at Auburn has 3.3 million. Jim Harbaugh, to be fair, does have 3.275. Mark Stoops has 3 million. Lane Kiffin, 2.5 million. Kirk Ferenc, Deion Sanders, Matt Campbell, Zach Garnett, Jeff Brom. Now, maximum bonuses, guys, part of that is what we're talking about. Can you hit your maximum bonus at the school you're at? And that's not always possible. So that's where we're at with that. Kind of an interesting look overall with coaches' salaries. I think that some of them do amazing jobs. Now, where does this go? Here comes a question. Where does this go with the 12-team college football playoff, particularly with maximum bonuses? So let's take a Mark Stoops at Kentucky because we're asking about him. Mark Stoops, if I were if I were wanting a bigger challenge, I would go somewhere else to try to coach for a national championship in this system. But with the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams, Stoops has a pretty good gig at Kentucky. He ain't getting fired. He's beloved as a coach. He's got too much credibility as the football coach there. And you might be able to sneak Kentucky in to the 12-team college football playoff. Now, I'm looking back at Stoops' track record as a Kentucky head coach to this point, and probably the only year that he would have had a debate to get into the 12-team playoff would have been uh, the 2018 season. They were number 15 at the time, so they may have just been out of it. Had they not lost to Texas A&M in overtime, though, they actually would have been in it, even though they did get blown out by Tennessee that year. They always get blown out by Tennessee. And then in 2021, also went 10-3. and Again, if he missed the college football playoff, it would have been because he was upset by Tennessee when he never should have been. But that's Tennessee always finds ways to upset Kentucky. So, But undefeated this year, a 12-team college football playoff, you might see Stoops staying at, at Tennessee. And so I think that I think it I think it's a big deal. Uh, I think it's going to alter what coaches do in the future because they will realize there's less pressure and they can still compete and reach the goal of competing for the national title with the 12 team playoff. It's actually going to limit to a degree the coaching carousel. You might not see Brian Kelly go at bolting Notre Dame for LSU if there's a 12 team playoff. I mean that's the honest truth you that those type of bolts may not happen as much with the 12 team playoffs. So that's going to be interesting to see where that all goes. All right. It's time for some picks week six college football picks and bets. They are brought to you by Zen sports. Zen sports is the new sports book in Tennessee revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports, which is what you get. And with their cash rewards program, you get a lot of cash. For a welcome bonus, earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting, on your betting volume, excuse me, for your first 15 days when you sign up with the code HOOKED. That's right, unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting and keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month after that. And refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards too. Zen Sports is bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. Must be 21 or over to gamble and in the state of Tennessee to do so. So moving on to picks, um, I would like to point out that I did not do too well last week. Last week, I was... 0-3 on picks of the week, and I was 9-14 and 14 overall. Now, I own when I screw up like that, and I did. However, 
Caleb's Casino is still 61 and 48 on the year and 9 and 8 on bets of the week. So both cross the 52% threshold. So if you follow me, you're still making money. And I will, Travis, you're saying I cost you 10 G's last week with the uh, Arkansas uh, Texas A&M game. I am not responsible for your bets. I, I I am responsible if you win. I'm not responsible if you lose. That's how this works. That's the rules. Okay. If you win, I'm res- I'm responsible. But if you lose, I am not responsible. I did think Arkansas would give AM a game. I did not see what Max Johnson was doing. I did not see that coming. Nobody could have seen that coming. I take no responsibility for that because I'm never responsible if I lose. That's just how this works. Okay. So let's get to going with our bets for this week. So now we're going to do as we always do. We're going to do every game with an SEC team. Every game with two top 25 teams, and I'll do the three best lines of the week, regardless of top 25 or SEC or anything. I'm adding this week, though, if there's a game featuring two undefeated teams, it's October. Some undefeated teams are still not in the top 25. But if there's a game featuring two undefeated teams, I'm not going to care if it's in the top 25 anymore. I'm going to pick it because it's kind of a big game. And that's where we start. We've got Maryland, who is the first team out of the top 25 of both polls, but is 5-0. and They're visiting Ohio State this weekend. Ohio State's coming off a bye. They should easily win. They're favored by 20. I'm taking Maryland plus 20. And the reason I'm taking Maryland plus 20 is because Ohio State is a more defensive-oriented team this year. Maryland does have a solid pass rush at times. Kyle McCord is not C.J. Stroud. He's a statue in the pocket. And because they won't be able to score at will like they usually do, and because Maryland has a quarterback who can air it out in Talia Tagalavoya to his brother, who is the best quarterback in the Big Ten by far, and one of the best quarterbacks in the draft for next year i think maryland's gonna be able to keep this close i do and so i say take maryland plus 20 even at ohio state when ohio state is coming off a bye also take the under 57 because ohio state just hasn't been scoring much all right next one red river shootout it's back baby early 2000s college football is back texas and oklahoma are undefeated this is what we love okay we've been waiting for this and it's right before they both join the sec next year we might have the red river shootout with both undefeated we might have florida state miami with both teams undefeated man early 2000s college football is back and that was the best i want bubba sparks back on college game day because of that texas is favored by six and a half against oklahoma and dallas take texas y'all ready for this Texas is going to blow out Oklahoma. They're going to destroy them. Oklahoma is not on um, Oklahoma has not beaten one team of caliber this year. Texas was tested at Alabama. They won convincingly. And then they blew out Kansas. This line is way too low. Texas is significantly better. I don't trust Brent Venables as a head coach. And I've said that for a while. They're going to be exposed here. Texas wins running away, but they win. With defense, and OU won't score enough, so go under again, under 60.5 for Texas and Oklahoma. I'm seeing something like 38 to 7. Yeah, I'm going there, 38 to 7. All right, LSU at Missouri. (sighs) LSU has been letting me down. They have failed. They are awful on the spread this year. And Missouri is undefeated. And they're riding high. And they may have, and LSU may have quit on the season. This is the toughest line to pick of the week. I say stay away from it. I'm picking LSU to cover. I'm going LSU five and a half. Missouri is the most fraudulent, undefeated team in college football. Eli Drinkwitz makes way too many mistakes on the field as a coach. I still trust Brian Kelly as a head coach overall, despite the three and two start. LSU so much better talent wise. 
I think they're going to cover. I think people are overreacting to last week's game. LSU also still has elite talent on defense, despite what happened against Ole Miss last week and against Missouri. That'll show. So hit the under on this. I think LSU wins something like, because the under is 64.5. It's not going to hit that much. I think the score will be something like 34 to 27 LSU wins. I think they cover and take the under. That's my big one. The game is being played at Missouri, but I'm still taking LSU. Next, Mississippi State versus Western Michigan. Mississippi State had a 2-0 start, but they have lost three straight. I would still take Mississippi State in this game. I think Mississippi State covers the 20.5-point spread. Western Michigan is a bad, bad football team. They have finally decided to let Will Rogers loose. That'll be enough for them to blow out Western Michigan at home to cover the spread. I think that they'll hit a ton of big plays in the passing game. Don't read into what happened last week against Alabama. That's Alabama, and Alabama started to get on a roll. And speaking of Alabama and starting to get on a roll, Alabama-Texas A&M, the best game of the SEC this weekend. Alabama may be going to Texas A&M. They're covering that one-and-a-half-point spread. Got no faith in Jimbo Fisher. Alabama's figured out how to use Jalen Milrow. They're going to be a run-oriented team that uses Jalen Milrow's legs and then rely on defense to win, and that's going to be enough for them. I still question Texas A&M's defense at the same time. So even though it's at Texas A&M, Alabama's going to cover. Now, Texas A&M will score a little bit because I actually am a believer in Max Johnson after what I saw last week. So I do say take the over 46.5. I say something, again, like 31 to 24 Alabama. So Alabama's going to cover. I'm pretty big on that and take the over. Florida Vanderbilt. All right. Here's an interesting one. Florida 18.5 favorites with Vanderbilt at home. Over under set at 52. Has Florida quit on the season? They lost to Vanderbilt last year. Maybe. However, there's still a lot to play for, and I still think they're thinking long-term under Billy Napier for the future. So I still think they're going to go all out in this game, and Vanderbilt is not last year's Vanderbilt team. And even if they were, they don't start to gel till November. It's October. So I think Florida covers the spread 18 and a half over Vanderbilt. And so Vanderbilt's just bad. With the game at Florida, I think Florida covers. And given how bad Vandy's defense has been, I think Florida, even with their putrid offense should hit the over in this game. So Florida covers and the game hits the over. All right. Battle of unbeatens, baby. Let's go. Georgia, Kentucky. Georgia's favored by 15 at home. Georgia's going to cover. This philosophy that Georgia is has some issues because they struggled to beat Auburn on the road when Auburn has Hugh Freeze as head coach. That's a rivalry game, and Auburn is clearly a good team this year is ridiculous. Okay, this is the biggest overreaction. Georgia's going to take it personal. They're going to refocus for Kentucky, and they're going to beat the brakes off Kentucky. A few things on this. Brock Bowers is finally getting fully healthy. That's why they're using him more. Lad McConkey has is also becoming their top go-to receiver. He should be ready to go. They are in perfect shape to absolutely demolish Kentucky. And this has nothing to do with my respect or lack thereof of Kentucky. I actually think Kentucky is a very good team. But this is going to be one of those games where Georgia, they don't play down to the competition. They play the competition and they win. They're ready to send a message. I got Georgia winning in a blowout and I've got the over 48 because I think Georgia's actually going to score a little bit. I've been betting against Georgia all year. I've made a lot of money fading Georgia and fading Mike Bobo and fading Carson Beck. Not going to do it this weekend. I think it comes together for them at least one weekend because I think they'll be laser focused on this one. So I think Georgia wins another, I'm talking 41 to 21, something like that. All right. Uh, we got a, 
semi-ACC showdown with Notre Dame, an ACC affiliate. Notre Dame at Louisville, two top 25 teams, and Louisville is one of those undefeated basketball teams. Notre Dame is favored by six and a half, over under set at 54. Just last week, Notre Dame knocked off one of the undefeated basketball schools in Duke, while Texas knocked off another one in Kansas. Notre Dame gets a chance to knock off a second straight undefeated basketball school in Louisville. Of course, I already talked about Maryland being a basketball school playing Ohio State. I think Notre Dame covers at Louisville. Look, Louisville needed a lot of help from the officials to beat a mediocre NC State team last week on a Friday night. This is not that good of a football team. They're not as good as their 5-0 record says. Notre Dame would have beaten Ohio State had they not rushed three on a third and seventeen. I do question Notre Dame's coaching. I'll say that in terms of a coaching mismatch, I have more faith in Jeff Brom than Marcus Freeman. I'll say that out loud. But at the same time, I don't think that's enough for me to say that Notre Dame doesn't win this one because I think that Notre Dame is just a significantly better football team at this point. So because of that, I've got Notre Dame covering the six and a half point spread. And I got the under again. Notre Dame's been making every game ugly and about defense. So I got the under. Notre Dame wins this game. It, it could be another 21 to 14 game between Notre Dame and Louisville. And finally, Saturday night. Every fiber of my body suggests that I should pick Arkansas to cover the 11 and a half point spread because that's the rules of SEC football. When one team is riding high like Ole Miss and another team is riding low like Arkansas, they just somehow rise up out of nowhere and pull the upset. But it's at night. The game's in Oxford. I got Ole Miss covering the 11 and a half point spread. Not comfortable with this pick, but I got them doing it. What I am comfortable with is the over. This game's hitting the over, guys. Over 63.5. KJ Jefferson, Jackson Dart. I want some points. Give me the points, baby. Give me the points. Give me all of them. 63 and a half. I love this. I love this. I'm thinking Ole Miss wins like 55 to 45. I'm, I'm sorry, 55 to 41. See, I'm barely talking myself into Ole Miss covering the 11 and a half point spread now. So stay away from that if you can. But go all in on the over, baby. Go all in. I'm loving this. Ole Miss covers and the game hits the over. Let's see if the let's see if we can set the over under at 100. Okay, so maybe I should go 56 to if Ole Miss covers and the game goes to 100, Ole Miss has to win something like 59 to 45. There we go. 59 to 45. Going for 100, baby. Let's hit it. Going for 100. All right. So now let's go for best bets of the week. First, Arizona State, Colorado. Well, yeah, Arizona State, Colorado. That's what I haven't mentioned. The over 59 and a half. Now, Arizona State has a horrendous offense. Colorado has a pretty questionable defense too. Meanwhile, Arizona's, Arizona State's defense is horrible. Colorado should score all over them without having to run the ball. So I think this might be Colorado's I, I could see easily like a 45 to 17 type win for Colorado, at which point that hits the over 59 and a half. I think Shador Sanders is a better quarterback than Caleb Williams. He is a top five quarterback in college football right now, top three in my opinion. And so I'm extremely high on Colorado's offense throwing the ball in this game. I think that's going to be enough to torch Arizona State. So I'm all in on the over, baby. Give me Colorado on the over, over 59 and a half. And playing at home, Arizona State will score enough against a questionable Colorado defense to help this hit the over. Now, games I already picked, but they're my bets of the week. Texas and Oklahoma. Texas, six and a half. Texas is covering. I gave you my reasons why earlier. Texas wins in a blowout. Now, here's the big one. Mississippi State, Western Michigan. I told you Mississippi State was going to cover. Also, 
I want you to go over the 56.5 in this game. Way over. Way over. Mississippi State's clicking on offense. Alabama notwithstanding. And Alabama should always be notwithstanding. Western Michigan gave up 41 points to Iowa. Let me say that again. Western Michigan gave up 41 points to Iowa. One of the worst offensive teams you will ever watch. What do you think Mississippi State's going to be able to do with it? Do to them with Will Rogers? I think Mississippi State might hit this over 56 and a half by themselves. This is a guarantee to hit. I'm talking 59 to 20. Mississippi State easily goes over the 56 and a half. Go all in with this one. This is my best pick of the week. I am sure of this. Mississippi State, Western Michigan, game hits the over. That is points, 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 and points galore. That's my big one of the week. Mississippi State, Western Michigan, the over 56.5. I want to send a special shout out to Caleb Jarro, who was on the show for the first two blocks. I want to say to Dave, we miss you, Dave Hooker. We really miss you. I hope you're having fun at UMass. I want to thank you guys all for tuning in and helping me out. Again, when I'm solo, I can't do the show without you guys on the message board. I need y'all as much as anybody, and you guys were super helpful in this game on this day. So I really appreciate it. I will be back tomorrow. We'll have Josh Ward at the top of the hour tomorrow. Should have Fred White. Still should do the football Friday with Fred at 1025. So we still got a lot of fun happening tomorrow. I hope to I hope you guys all tune back in. We can have a lot of fun together. Thank you guys all tuning in with off the hook sports. This has been Caleb Calhoun. You guys all have a great rest of your Thursday and enjoy the October weather. Have a good one, everybody. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.